I would say I am an activist and an advocate, but I don't feel like when I'm in these meetings and, and having these conversations that I'm alone in the room. Often, when we hear the word advocacy, I think we think of community service and weekends spent donating care packages and giving meals to the less fortunate. But if you're determined and if you're willing to get creative, you can bring the spirit of advocacy work into any career path of your choosing. Case in point, today's guest, Janae Ingram. Janae is the Airbnb director of 21st Century Community Initiatives. She knows better than anyone that her commitment to community and advocacy work is more than simply serving a week and a month. From serving as an AmeriCorps Vista, to working with the National Action Network under Reverend Al Sharpton, to her time spent as Miss New Jersey, Janae has built a career that's centered on making positive impact on the community while driving organizational and company goals forward. Keep on listening to hear the really dope journey that Janae has taken. I'm sure you'll find inspiration along the way. Hi, everyone. Uh, It's Marquita Harris, work and money editor for Essence and host of Unboss Podcast. And welcome. Today's guest is Janae Ingram, the amazingly talented and From what I've gathered, very adaptable, uh, director of National Partnerships for Airbnb. Um, As we're going to soon learn, this woman has many, many receipts, and I'm going to try to get to all of them. But (laughs) welcome, Janae. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you you for coming on. I know, like, we were talking about this a little earlier, but I know you're busy, and um, I also know you're expecting, and uh, I appreciate the time. Um, So let's get right to it. Uh, I like to ask this question for every guest that comes on the show. First question, what was your very, very first job? Oh my goodness. My very first job, I was actually 12 and I was part of an NAACP youth program in New Jersey. I worked as like an administrative assistant at a, at an insurance company. It was my very first job. I was young. At 12? At 12, at 12, it was a summer jobs program. Yeah. At 12, 12 was like the enter the, the starting age. Um, and so, yeah. And I've, I've pretty much worked ever since. Like, I don't think I've ever not worked. That's (laughs) like, I always love this question because I, I just think it kind of informs just from the top, just who you are and kind of how serious you are about the kind of work that you do. And the fact that that's where you started and the path you're on now, um, I take it you are pro- you've always been a very driven, kind of grounded, and who you are, kind of an individual. Then I, I would say yes. I would yeah. Yeah. I would say yes, and I'm sure my mother, if she was here, she would agree. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you've done a lot of um, you've had a lot of different roles, and there has been you know, a common thread of like advocacy work, which we'll get into, but I think it's, it's really cool that you started there at that age. So can you talk a little bit about just what kind of a kid were you? How, like how introverted, extroverted? Um, As a, as a child, as a young child, I was probably more extroverted. And then I kind of got into like a shy phase. I, Mm -hmm. I don't, like I went through an awkward phase in growing up and like, development. And I think that that made me a little bit more introverted. 
just because I was more self-conscious and mm-hmm. just not as confident. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that in a lot of ways has somewhat become my default. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, I think I would describe myself now, even now, as more of an introvert than an extrovert, which is mm-hmm. interesting because a lot of the, the work that I do is so um, suited, well suited, yeah, and well suited yeah. for an extrovert. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm probably pr- in somewhere in the middle, an ambivert, and but I, <laughs> I definitely skew more toward the introverted side. I'm very introspective, always have been intros- introspective, um, very headstrong yeah. from a very early age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so yeah, that's how I would describe me as a as a child, and um and. Please correct me if I'm wrong. It, obviously, I've been digging around, doing some reading. But you grew up. Um, are your parents musicians? So my dad is a musician, and my dad's whole family is pretty much pr- pretty much musicians. Yeah, uh, my dad is one of nine children. Okay, and um, they we all they grew up in Camden, New Jersey, which is also where I grew up. Um, and my dad has four brothers okay. and four sisters. The four brothers all play instruments. My dad plays multiple instruments. Yeah. And the sisters all sing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so I, they were... I did read, I think um, you're, you had an aunt, Barbara Ingram, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that was just a part of that. I think that Philadelphia. Yeah. Philadelphia sound. Yeah. Uh, my dad has produced for a lot of different people. I've been on tour with Patti LaBelle three times and I don't sing. <laughs> So okay, um, I didn't, I didn't expect that. That's like, yeah. At essence, we are heat patty. Like that's, yeah. beats, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so can you kind of tell me about, I know you went to um, Clark. Clark Atlanta. Yep. Yes. You, okay. You went to Clark. So how did you know what you, like, did you know that you wanted to be on this path as it stands now or no. what kind of changes did you go through? No, it's that's such a great question. No, I, um, I did not know that this was going to be my path. I probably about 10 when I decided I wanted to be a doctor. I remember being in fifth grade, going to the nurse's office and her teaching me how to like put on gloves without touching the outside of the gloves, because I, mm-hmm. if I was going to be a surgeon, you couldn't touch the gloves. And like, you know, I just had that report. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. And mm-hmm. I took extra cl- science classes in high school. Um, I, you know, was like a candy striper at the local hospital. <laughs> I was doing all of these extra things. And it wasn't until my freshman year of college that I happened to come home for a break and was watching something on TV and there was like a surgery. And I remember like, oh, and I was like, Oh my God, like how how is this gonna work? I can't be a doctor and be and be squeamish around blood, <laughs> occupational hazard. Yes. Um, and so my path sort of changed and like I went into psychology because I had already taken all of these science courses. Um and my priority at that time was to graduate in four years. Okay. Um, my parents were very adamant, like, you're going to go to school, you're going to graduate in four years. And so I was like, okay, I got to graduate in four years. So <laughs> psychology became the path, never intending to be a psychologist, although it has been very helpful in, yeah. uh, in my life. Um, but yeah, it. I wanted to be a doctor. And I think um, the activism part of me was always there, like that existed. <clears throat> I just think for so long, I always viewed advocacy and activism as like something that you did outside of your job. Like, you know, you go to your nine to five and then you 
after your nine to five, you go t- and give back in the community on yeah. that. Interesting. So I also just love, um, I'm always overanalyzing a little. I do love the fact that you came from this kind of creative atmosphere. I'm assuming music. Yes. And you took, you wanted to take a very different path. So, and you did say that you're headstrong. So I'm assuming you were very independent. Like, no, I'm going to just do my own thing. <laughs> and like For go sure. that direction. <laughs> For sure. And I, and I, admittedly, my father never wanted us to get into the music business. I okay. think he had seen a lot. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think he would, you know, he never wanted to push any anything on us. Um, like, you know, I regret now that I don't know how to play an instrument. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm always like, Dad, why didn't you, like, make me take piano? Like, make me learn an instrument. And he was just like, no, he wanted us to come to it organically. Yeah. And, and my sister and I, we both played an instrument for, like, a year. And then... Same. It. <laughs> it didn't stick. <laughs> it did not stick, but... At all. Fair, fair. So you studied psychology and you just ended up taking a more unconventional path in terms of focusing on that advocacy side of you. So was it kind of hard kind of making that passion that you love so much into your full time, you know, everything you've done, it, that's where it touches. Yeah. I think it's so fascinating. So, so uh, interestingly, like when I got out of college and graduated, um, my plan was to go to law school, so still in an advocacy type space. Yeah. Um, but I ended up deciding I wanted to take a year off and work. That year off became four years, mm-hmm. um, and I was I was working for a Medicaid insurer in um, Philadelphia. It was a multi state Medicaid insurer, so they had you know mm-hmm. businesses all over the the U.S. Um, and I didn't love it. Like I, I, it was helping people, but I didn't love it. Like yeah. it, I just felt in a lot of ways trapped and. That position that I was in, um, it gave me a lot of exposure and a lot of uh, opportunities to learn different things about um, proposals. I worked on a team that was responsible for market expansion. So I did a lot of proposal writing and things. And when that position was phased out, I was like confronted with what am I going to do? Do you mind me asking around how old were you at this time? um, I would have been about 25. Okay. Okay. So I I had this moment of like, okay, so what am, what am I going to do? Like, what do I want to do next? Because the position itself and really my whole, my whole department had been eliminated. Yeah. Um, And so in that moment of like real reflection, I was like, okay, what is the thing that I can see myself doing now? that I would also see myself doing when I'm like 65, when I'm like ready to retire. And that for me was advocacy work, nonprofit work. Mm-hmm. And I applied to be an AmeriCorps VISTA, which if anyone knows anything about the AmeriCorps VISTA program, yeah. it means you make no money. Um, <laughs> literally, like you make like $10,000 a year. And for um, those who are completely unfamiliar with what that is, can you kind of explain a little bit? Sure. So- mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people are familiar with um, Peace Corps yeah. and Peace Corps, you know, you send volunteers to other parts of the, the, the world and they help and volunteer and what have you. AmeriCorps is a program where instead of being sent abroad, you're, you're doing your service here in the U.S. And there's two types of programs. There's the AmeriCorps program, which is direct service, meaning you work directly with the, the people who you're serving. Um, and then there's the AmeriCorps VISTA program, which is more administrative. So you're doing like, you know, more of the behind the scenes work to make the organization run. Mm-hmm. I ended up p- applying as a VISTA 
and taking that knowledge that I had of grant writing and, and, and all of that and applying it in a fundraising and development capacity. So helping the organization get new funds. And I did that for a year and I loved it. Like mm-hmm. I felt like I found myself, I found my purpose, I found my calling. And then that has been the thing that has been consistent throughout the rest of my career at this point. Uh, okay. And let's let's kind of um, pause a little bit on that. Okay. Part. You're also uh, Miss New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> you also I didn't know you did that digging. Yes. Just <laughs> <laughs> a little. Just a little. You know? so, yeah. So I'll give you just, you know, context. I, I was a pageant kid. Okay. Um, and I definitely, it's weird. I definitely remembered encountering a lot of different opinions about that. Mm-hmm. As, you know, as I it was something I really wanted to do and kind of like beg my mom. And it was more so because I liked working and I liked getting money and I wanted that. <laughs> I wanted that. It wasn't a, I didn't care about the crown. I'm like, I just right. want to so I could support my like like my college education. Yeah. But um, what I didn't realize until I got older was just how much I learned from that experience. I definitely was much more introverted. I'm still technically very introverted, even the, in the field I'm in. Same but, thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I definitely relate when you're saying yeah. that. Um, but I think what I've learned now is just how important you do. Like you have to be visible in the work that you do. And I just wondered what was that experience like? And do you take some of that experience um, with you into other roles that you do? Or maybe not. I could also be very off. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's a great question for me to, to your point. Like I, I think for me, that experience was very much about finding a way to be visible and bring visibility to the community work that I wanted to do. So at the time that I competed I had been doing like a lot of community service. I had been working with different organizations and I just really felt like, you know, in order for me to have the visibility and the connection that I need, I need something behind my name. Like no one, if I, you know, no one's going to say, oh, this girl wants to come in and start a literacy campaign. They're going to be like, who are you? And, and I didn't have an organization or anything like that. So um, it was at the time that I was working at the Medicaid mm-hmm. insurance company. Um And so for me, having that title allowed me to really create different opportunities. I was the New Jersey safe haven uh, law representative. So Mm -hmm. I went around talking about the the safe haven law all over the state. I was able to create a literacy campaign um, and I went to schools. I went to like, I don't even remember how many schools all through the state of New Jersey, parts that I had never even busy. Yes. Yeah. I did like over a hundred um, appearances in my year. Maybe it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you have a full-time job yeah. and, and you're preparing for Miss USA, it's a lot. Um, yeah. And so it, for me though, it was, it was the reason that I did it. It was the cause that allowed me to sort of be able to do fundraising and, and really put some meat behind all the initiatives that I was passionate about. So yeah. it gave me um, a great, a great platform. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand like a little bit more the need to, to have a platform to be visible for people to understand, you know, where you're coming from, that you're coming with pure intentions and, and you're coming with true altruism and not yeah. like something that's a little self-serving. Yeah. Um, so that's the part that I think I take away from it. That's, that's pretty, that's great. Um, so around all this time, you know, you're 
by now, like, you know, mid twenties. I do like to kind of ask just what was your income like at this time? Were you, how broke were you? How much of a struggle was it to do these things that you, you know, you found your, you found your groove and you loved it, but were you struggling to pay the bills? So fortunately I lived with my parents. Mm -hmm. So when I was in AmeriCorps, actually from like when I had the Medicaid job, like I was making, at the time I felt like it was no money. Now yeah. I definitely feel like it was no money, but, <laughs> but it probably was, it was significant enough that I could have lived on my own, but I just, I, I had this notion at the time of like, I don't want to pay rent. Um, you know, I just want to save and buy a house someday. Like that yeah. was the thing. I didn't do a lot of saving in, the, in those first few years. I spent a lot on like vacations and clothes. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, you gotta. It's, it takes a minute. You gotta. It takes a while to build a habit. Yeah, so. as, as Khalid said, young, dumb, and broke. Just yes. like not making any sense. But um, then, and then I became an AmeriCorps Vista, which I was making no money. Like, mm-hmm. like. like literally $10,000, $11,000 a year. So that is like nothing. Luckily, again, I stayed with my parents and I had two side hustles. So I was a a motivational speaker with this program called Making Account. So I would go Mm -hmm. into schools and speak and I would get paid for every school that I went to. Yeah. Um, And then the second thing that I was doing was modeling. And so between like those two, those three things, I was doing okay. I was, I was like, you know, I'm not going to not eat, you know? Yeah. So you, I know that um, you've also worked with Al Sharpton. Yes. Can you kind of tell me about how did you go from that period, you know, to that one? That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So I, so I had moved after that one year of being an AmeriCorps Vista, I moved to New York um, to pursue a master's degree in nonprofit management. I was at that point, I was all in committed and I was just like okay I'm th- this is the this is the thing that I want to do so I want to go back to school I want to get a, a master's and I did I moved to New York got a master's degree and was working for an organization in New York um, called Project Enterprise it was a microfinance um, program that helped mm-hmm. entrepreneurs basically get access to capital yeah. um, and it was it was such a great program um, but I just, I actually kind of got tired of living in New York. I was ready to like move on to something else. <laughs> <It'll be laughs> <our secret. laughs> um, but yeah, like I was like, okay, I need, I need a little bit more of like, I, I wanted a car and I lived in Harlem and there was, you know, I wasn't doing the every other side, every other day side of the street parking. Yeah. So, <laughs> and anyone who's listening, who, who's lived in New York, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so I, I decided to move back to DC and I started working with this, um, organization. They hired me to be their chief development officer, which meant I did all of the fundraising. Um, and then somewhere like within three months, they decided, oh, we're actually not ready to hire. We're like, this is actually more than what we need right now. (sighs) And, 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 and I was like, it was like, okay, you can resign or we can like lay you off, but like, we don't need this right now. We actually need someone who's part-time. So I'm like, okay, great. Now I have just uprooted my life from New York oh. back to Maryland or to Maryland. Yeah. Um, and how, how long, so, okay. From the time that you, you know, you moved and accepted that position to the time they laid you off. What was the time span again? It was like, the, it was in the first 90 days. 
So, you know, you have your, your 90 day trial period. Yes, do. And I have definitely went, and through, then- I didn't, didn't approve my life. I was already living here and they decided to shut the publication down and it was a huge oh, deal. No. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. But and, yes, and so in that moment, right. Yeah. You, we have to figure out how we're going to survive. And so yeah. I was in a, again, another moment of like trying to figure out what my next step was going to be. Um, and really, thinking to myself, like, what is it that I want to do? I had two job offers at the same time. I had the job offer from National Action Network, which was, it was going to be a a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Like I had done government relations and they wanted me to come in and do government relations, but I hadn't done government relations in DC. I had done local government relations. Um, I, I shouldn't say I hadn't done it, I hadn't done it in a while. So my first that first job that I had at the Medicaid insurance company, I had done government relations and um, w- on the national level, on the federal level. But it had been a while since I had done that. And it just it, it was a little bit out of my wheelhouse. There was going to be, you know, more activism, um, you know, a lot more uh, just it was just different. Yeah. And then there was the, the other opportunity was to do fundraising and development, which I had been doing, but it was more limited. So it wasn't going to, it was, it wasn't doing as much as I was capable of. Um, And I was confronted with this decision of like, do I do the thing that I'm comfortable doing that I know I can go in and wake up every day and I can do this job with my eyes closed and my hands Mm -hmm. behind my back? Or do I do this thing, which I kind of know what I'm doing, but there's a part of me that has no clue about what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's a challenge and it's scary. And it's, it may, it feel at the time it felt like a bigger job than maybe I was even comfortable with. Yeah. And yeah. I decided to go with that. Good for you. Yes. So I often hear, um, I can't remember the specific numbers, but basically women are, um, less likely to take roles that, you know, they can grow into, Whereas men, they have no problem, you know, taking a role that they may not qualify for, but they're going to take it anyways with that salary. (laughs) And so I think like, you know, that's, it's interesting that you, you know, you went in that direction. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I definitely, I think was, was a key to my success. And, and I feel like every time I've made those career pivots, it's been a little bit of that, like, there's a little bit of fear of like, I don't have this all figured out. And that's actually part of what we should be feeling and part of what allows us to grow and our careers to grow and us to have that upward mobility. Yeah. So that's also really some good advice. Um, so let's talk about these pivots. Let's yes. talk about these pivots. So and what advice do you have for someone who they have a lot of passions that they maybe want to pursue, but they don't really know how to, I guess, incorporate their passions into the job, you know, the job path that they're on, if that makes sense. Um, You've always been that headstrong little girl that's kind of been about advocacy work and the people and, you know, you've worked for, uh, now you're at Airbnb and, you know, in, you're in a role that never existed before, if I'm, if I, right. That is correct. Um, how did you do that? <laughs> how do you, how are you doing this? <laughs> it's a great question. And an, another pivot um, in, in some ways, um, you know, I, the, the role at Airbnb was one, to your point, that didn't exist. I didn't necessarily see myself in tech. 
um, before coming to Airbnb. And when I um, was at NAN, I, I, you know, I was there during the years of like 2012 to 2015, Mm -hmm. almost, it was almost four years um, that I was there. And in, in that time, you know, I was there with Trayvon Martin, actually it was 2011 to 2015, my, my apologies. So Trayvon Martin, I was there for Eric Garner. I was there for all of the cases that are reminding me of like what's happening right now. Mike Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, there, there was, there was a moment where I was also sacrificing a lot personally. Um, You know, I missed my grandmother's 80th birthday. Never get that back. Um, you know, things that I, I was just making a lot of personal sacrifices for work. And it was not that it was a bad thing, but it was something that I didn't want to become my sort of my modus operandi for life. Work was work was my life. Work yeah, was my, yeah. my everything in a lot of ways. Um, and I'm a little I'm a workaholic. I am mm-hmm. like I throw myself into work. Um, and so I made I, I, I left. Nan, um, I took about eight months and traveled around the U.S. And then the Women's March, I planned that. Yeah. At the time of like planning that, I'm getting, you know, outreach from one of my mentors saying, are you interested in working for Airbnb? And I was, Mm -hmm. because she was a mentor, I was like, sure, you know, but in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't see this being like my path. Never. Yeah. Um, because I was so focused on this idea that I had about mission driven work. And it wasn't until I started going through the interview process that I was like, this is actually a a really great company and they are mission driven. Like everything that I learned about them, I was, I, I, I guess I just never thought about the fact that a company could also be mission driven. And so you know, and still be a, a, a company. In my mind, it was like this notion of just an, a nonprofit or just an advocacy organization or something like that. But what I found was a company that has a mission. And I joined right around, you know, the time after um, Airbnb while black. Yeah. And what oh, I yeah. found, what <laughs> I found was a company that made a lot of commitments to address the the, the problem. And they weren't like, one-off commitments. It wasn't like, we're going to do this so that the negative press goes away. It was like, no, we're, we're making these commitments as long-term commitments. Yes. And that to me was also like really eye-opening. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so for, for me learning about the, the commitments that they made, they have a community commitment. They have a, a policy called open doors, which yeah. a lot of people don't know about. It's something that I, every time I speak, I'm like, I want to <laughs> tell people about open doors. Yes. Because I hear, I'm, you know, my, my role is external. And in a lot of ways, um, people will come to me and say, I had this negative experience. What can I do? Yeah. I want everyone who is listening to this to know, if you have an experience where you think you are discriminated against, please use our help feature and let them know that you have been, you feel like it's the, the uh, case of discrimination. Yeah. Okay. We will investigate. It allows us to have more tracking. Yeah. To, be able to to consistently measure and see, you know, if there is a, an instance of discrimination, we can remedy it. Mm-hmm. Um, we will get you rebooked immediately. So you don't have to wait for us to figure out if it was discrimination yeah. or not. Which I know I have not, I haven't personally um, experienced that, but I do know friends who had in the past. And um, I think 
I think it's pretty important too that it's, you know, if it does happen, it can be rectified very yes. quickly because, you know, people, they got flights. They're trying to go yes. <laughs> there, you know. Yes. Yeah. We don't want your trip to be interrupted. We yeah. want to have a great time. We don't want any, you know, we don't want that negative experience to influence your overall experience. And so yeah. if, if anything happens, whether blatant or whether you feel like it was, but you're not entirely sure, please let us know because yeah. that allows us to track it. It allows us to find you a new place to stay. Um, and, it, you know, it just creates a level of accountability for us that we we want and need. Yeah. Um, so, and so things like that, that the company created, I think, and that that program, that initiative that they started in 2016 is still going. It's something that we continue to work on. Yeah. Um, and then just recently, we launched uh, a new initiative, Project Lighthouse, okay. really focused on um, understanding if there is systemic discrimination. So we've, we've addressed very important. Yeah. very important. Very important. And we, these are and these are things that you're like that you've been very instrumental in terms of like getting off the ground and like all right. So are you in these meetings kind of pitching these ideas or are you working with a team? How are you getting this level yeah. of advocacy into this corporate space? Yeah, it's a it's really a team. I mean, I think also <laughs> we we have commitment from the top. And that's important. Um, a lot of these ideas or, or things are things that we come up with together. And so like there, we have a whole um, team that addresses anti-discrimination efforts. We have a product team whose job it is, you know, to make sure that the platform is not enabling Got discrimination and, and, and bias. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times we'll work together and we'll create, you know, different um, programs and initiatives and it's what a separates this company in my mind from a lot of others. I, I, you know, I don't know if I would ever will ever work in another tech company again. I love this company. <laughs> um, and, you know, from our CEO, from our COO in the past, um, the leaders of our business units, um, this willingness to really create a, a safe space for people. Um, and so it, 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 you know, I would say I am an activist and an advocate, but I don't feel like when I'm in these meetings and, and having these conversations that I'm alone in the room. If okay, you okay. and look around. But, and because we started talking about travel and Airbnb and you kind of slipped this in there and you said that you traveled for eight months around the U S and around the, well, all over, all over some, some okay. in the U S and some internationally. Okay. And it sounds like, you know, you consciously made a decision to take a break from yes. everything and I'm assuming maybe recalibrate. And that's when that new opportunity kind of came to you. Yeah. So can you, what made you do that? And cause I think a lot of times um, travel does, it gives you a, a, a different perspective. It offers an opportunity for you to kind of step back and really assess your life in a weird way. And um, what made did you consciously do take that eight months off for that reason? Or, you know, did it just kind of happen like that? It ha it just kind of happened like that. I, um, when I made the decision to leave Nan, I, it, it was, it was a hard decision. Um, and because, and, and even, you know, I had friends who looked at me and were like, are like, kind of like, are you crazy? What? You know, you have this high profile job that, um, a, you know, you're responsible for, 
for managing a whole organization, a national organization at a time in our country when there's so much that we need to be fighting for. Like, I, I think people really questioned what I was doing. To be honest, I didn't necessarily have a plan. Yeah, other okay. than to, other than to say, I knew that how I was living was not sustainable, and it wasn't going to lead to other things that I wanted. It wasn't, you know, it, yeah. it it was. I was sacrificing a lot, and I didn't always feel like m- my life and me were at the forefront of those decisions. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I just was living. And work was was the top priority and in front of me, like in front of my health, in front of in front of things that I wanted to do, things that I was interested in, passionate about. Um, So for me, the the decision was really about I need to stop. Mm -hmm. I need to break this pattern of behavior. Yeah, I need to break this really bad pattern of behavior and I need to recalibrate to your point. I need to readjust and figure out how to. how to create more balance. I don't believe that there ever is a full balance, but how yeah. do I create more balance where I'm not, not seeing my family at a, yeah. at a moment moments where I'm not, you know, showing up for other people I care about because I have work obligations. Yeah. Um, and luckily I had an aunt who um, was a flight attendant mm-hmm. and she decided that she was going to make me her companion. <laughs> and it. And you know it, was, it was perfect timing. Shout out to the aunts. Shout out to the aunts. Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a pretty um that was my next question. Like I like how was I doing it? How was I doing it? You know, and I think I hear that a lot. I like yeah. um there's another woman that I spoke with on the show. Um I can't remember who it was, but she went through a lot of changes and she ended up um she ended up in Paris for a little while and right. And I, I'll never forget, she kind of snuck it in the conversation. I'm like, wait a minute. What do you mean you ended up, you know, what? And she's like, yeah, I took some cooking class. You know, you just. Yeah. Um, and now I do want to go back to corporate, like corporate culture and yes. what makes a good company. You've had all of these experiences at these um, at these amazing places. And I'm sure that, you know, that um, that structure has been different maybe everywhere. And because yeah. the job has been different and. Um, you've been at different stages of your life as well. So just what makes a good company from your perspective? Um, I think what makes a good company is when companies are willing to allow people to have a say and have a stake in the approach that the company is taking. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone gets to make the decision because that's not possible. But I do think that it's important to have um, dialogue around important decisions and Mm -hmm. making sure that people feel like they have a voice, feel like they have a a say, even if, you know, even if the decision is, is made in in a different direction that they feel that they're contributing to the overall um, culture of, of the the company. Um, You know, I've worked in situations where it, it, it's more of a dictatorship and, and that never works. I've worked in situations where, Managers are more micromanagey, mm-hmm. and that doesn't work. Um, I think when you when you're in a situation where people have an outlet to express themselves, it lends itself to uh, a culture and an environment where even if the decision is made and they don't agree with it, they know that they've at least had a voice. Yeah, in the conversation. And I think giving people voice is really, really important. Very important. And you know, you have to feel. 
I mean, you know, as an employee, you spend, your colleagues are, they're your other family. You spend they are. time there. So I think that's really important too. Um, can we talk a little bit about, so you are expecting and I'm yeah. sure, you know, and like you said, it's your first. So I'm assuming this is the first time you've been, you know, looking at maybe um, maternity leave policies yeah. and um, have you, have you kind of, has that made you nervous or what's kind of been your approach? Are you, um, how are you feeling? You know, I, I actually feel pretty good. I mean, I, you know, we have a great maternity leave policy. Um, I will be out, uh, in about oh, two weeks and okay. then I won't come back until the new year. So oh my gosh. I- <laughs> your time. It's a great, <laughs> yeah. Away. yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, I think that aspect of, of it is I'm comfortable with. I think, I, I don't know what this new level of balance looks like. And yeah. I think, you know, the, I, I can talk to friends and I have, a, I have friends that have children and they have multiple children. And, you know, my sister has two kids and I get to see other people do it. But I think, you know, it's, it's an individual journey. Yeah. And I know who I am when it comes to like work and um, you know, it's funny because I like in the, you know, we've, we've talked about how crazy the the recent months have been yeah. and I had been working a lot. And and my mom said to me one day, she was like, so when you go on maternity leave, are you going to be able to not check your computer? That was my next question. Do you think you're going to be able to break away? Cause uh I don't know. Yeah, it might take a little, a little practice. There's, 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 there's some part of me that's like, am I going to sneak onto the computer just to see what's going on? Or like, am I going to text people and be like, hey, how's it going? You know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I've never, I've never had really? a child. And so I, it could be that every, my whole focus is on her and yeah. on just, her and myself and like making sure that I'm saying everything is fine. Yeah. Exactly. And that she's okay. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm okay peeking in as long as it doesn't become all consuming, like a a peek here and there to me doesn't hurt. Um, but I, I am, I think the thing that I think most about is balancing. And then obviously in a COVID world, you know, when I go back, um, the things that I've been thinking about are like, am I comfortable with her going to a daycare or a school? I'm going to be working remotely. And so what does that look like? I mean, if, if she doesn't go to a daycare or a school, can she stay at home while I'm working at home? And then what does that look like? So those are the questions that I'm sort of navigating in this moment. And Childcare in this country is extremely Listen, We could have a whole, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not a mom and a, but I, you know, I, it's just, it's crazy. I don't yeah. understand, especially when you travel other places and, you know, like women here, I've worked with bosses and I've, I've seen things from afar where they are terrified of, and I, I'm not, I'm not projecting on Airbnb got you, girl. I know they got you, but. I've um, I've had other bosses and friends and colleagues where they're kind of terrified about just the maternity leave policy and if they're going to be supported when they come back, um, what kind of support is going to be in place when they leave so they're not right. coming back to, you know, some, like work that's completely undone and yeah. 
childcare on top of that? Like, is my salary now going to be enough for a whole other person? Yeah, <laughs> and, no, so, it's real. It's, yeah. it's, it's real. I, I mean, I, I definitely do feel supported. I, yeah. I was actually very nervous to tell my boss um, <laughs> when I found out I was pregnant because I had just taken on a new role um, and I was moving to San Francisco and 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 I told him and he was like through the roof. Like he was like, Oh my God, I'm so excited for you. So, I mean, I, I definitely feel supported. He, you know, he even texted me this morning, like, Oh, I hope your doctor's appointment today goes well. So like, you have have good bosses. I, I feel secure for sure. Good. I'm glad. I'm really that, that part, don't worry. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah. I could, I could really keep. I have about you know a hundred more questions that I could ask. But, um, like I said earlier, I know you're busy and I, I know you got things to do. So, um, just to wrap up, um, two final questions for you. The name of the show, this podcast is Unbossed. The way you've navigated your career has been very, um, just very independent and very um, intentional, it seems, you know? And that to me is, I think that's very unbossed. So you tell me, what does the word unbossed mean to you? And also just tell me about um, a woman who you admire uh, that you want us to know about who's unbossed. Um, great questions. Um, I think for me, the word unbossed means that I don't have to ask for permission. And that has, that in a lot of ways has been sort of my, um, my philosophy in terms of like, e- even my career path, it, it may not make sense to anyone else, but I don't need anyone else's permission. I'm in control of making the decisions that I think are best for me. And that, that's the way that I'm, I'm, I choose to move through life, whether, you know, whether people understand it or agree with it or want to advise me in different ways or not. And I, I, you know, I've had those moments where people have been like, well, this is what you need to do. And this is how you should do it. This is how you should approach it. And it's like, that's how you want to approach it. But how I approach it is, is very different. And I'm okay with my approach. Um, And it's, it served me well. So that's, it means not having to ask permission, not having to um, have anyone okay my plans, but being, being in control um, and in authority over my own life. I love it. So now tell yeah. me about someone who you, this person, it could be somebody, you know, it could be somebody, a celebrity, it could be a fictional character, anybody who's a boss and, and why? It's a great question. And I feel like I know so many, there are so many women who are unbossed. Yeah. Um, that I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously like, you know, I've seen it in my family, my mom and my grandmothers, both of them. And, um, and having that up close view, some of my mentors are unbossed. Laura Murphy, who is my mentor and part of the reason I'm at Airbnb, is mm-hmm. is unbossed. Um, Ingrid Saunders Jones, another mentor who um, used to be at Coca Cola for a long time, is is mm-hmm. someone I would say is unbossed. And then someone like Rihanna, like I, love I <laughs> freaking love Rihanna. I, I love think so she much. is unbossed. Yes. And like the, to me, when I when, when I hear unbossed, that's who I think of when I think of a celebrity she is just really who she is and she's going to show up as her true authentic self yeah and it doesn't matter who likes it or who doesn't she's going to be her no matter what and I love that quality in her and I love yeah. that yeah. yeah I love Rihanna I love Rihanna too I'm a huge <laughs> I'm, yeah. a, I'm a 
fan. So yep, yeah, me too. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. All Thank right. You. So Janae, um, where can people learn more about you, more about all of the amazing work that you've been doing um, at Airbnb and beyond? Great question. I have a website, uh, janaeingram.com. It's J-A-N-A-Y-E, last name I-N-G-R-A-M.com. Um, it's being updated now, so uh, stay tuned for, for more. Um, but also people can follow me on Instagram, janae underscore Ingram. And um, I talk frequently about the wonderful things I'm doing at Airbnb um, and also just some of my other interests and my baby. <laughs> Which I can't wait. I got to check. I, I got to check it out. <laughs> Thank you so much for, you know, allowing me to pick your brain and like, you know, get into your life a little bit. Be sure to listen, download, or subscribe to more episodes of Unbossed. You can find Unbossed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple listeners, please be sure to leave me a review and let me know what you think. Be kind, but be critical. That's okay, too. Don't forget to hit me up on social at Marquita underscore Harris underscore. Be sure to use the hashtag Unbossed Podcast. I appreciate you. Thanks, guys. <laughs>